Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs, and you are listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We envision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good this summer. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. The music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today we bring you two stories from the Welcome Project's archive titled We're Not That Far Along and Strong Female Leader. As per usual, we'll play the stories and pause between each to have a conversation about what we hear from the storytellers. So first up today, our storyteller talks about gender, feminism, and societal cognizance in our increasingly polarized community. This is We're Not That Far Along. For along, I don't think. I mean, there might be people on campus who say that we've overcome a lot of gender issues, and I think to some degree we have, but you look at the faculty, uh, especially in sciences, engineering, there's no gender balance. The ideal is a gender-blind society, but to some extent the culture is revisiting a lot of gender issues and in some quadrants slipping back into patriarchy. I think many women on this campus are not aware of sort of the movement in the 60s and 70s, how profoundly society was changed over that time. They have become maybe complacent because they weren't didn't live through it. And they may think that if we don't make gender a big issue, that's our way of sort of overcoming gender issues. I, I define feminism very broadly. At one level, it's simply a person who is sensitized to gender issues and uh, gender perspective. Now, the next step of a feminist would be a person who is not simply sensitive to those issues, but is an advocate in some ways. I find gender issues and a feminist approach still very useful in the classroom. They're seeing issues, I think, in the New Testament period that, that in some ways are still with us. That is, we've got a good instances in the early church of women in leadership roles. We see some instances where patriarchy from the larger culture is reasserting itself by the third and fourth generation of the early church. It's not an exact mirror, but I, I think the issues of gender and power are at play in the New Testament as they are in contemporary society. And I hope they can make some connection between the history that I'm talking about and the history that they're living. People from different backgrounds really do bring different viewpoints, and it's good to get these things out on the table, and that can often lead to very good conversations. Kind of, uh, It leads, I think, potentially to a lot of aha moments and, and kind of greater cultural sensitivity, which we could, we could really use because uh, I think the culture is becoming more and more polarized. If anything, there's less cultural sensitivity in some quadrants, even as the culture becomes much more diverse. I'm acutely aware of cultural difference and how significant an impact that has on simply how you look at the world. I, I don't think you can just say we've got to have a, a common point of departure before we start talking about diversity. Maybe we don't even need a common viewpoint. It's our own anxiety about cultural chaos or upheaval. Maybe it's a good thing not to have a, a single uh, reference point or a departure point. I was raised to be more comfortable with that, but I grew up late 1950s, 1960s America. This is Welcome Project Radio. Listen up with Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. And we're following our typical format today where we play a story from the Welcome Project archives 
and then ask each other some questions to delve in and try to understand what the storyteller um, would like us to know, um, as well as then begin to interpret for ourselves what we think about what we hear. So today we're, we're focusing on gender, and we just heard from a, um, uh, a retired university professor, was not retired when he was interviewed, um, and he is talking about his thoughts on um, where he sees the student body at and our culture at in terms of feminism and patriarchy. So anyone want to start us off with a question today? Yeah, so he kind of started off with um, the idea that some quadrants, which I don't necessarily know what he means by that, so I'd be interested to hear that, um, but some quadrants slipping back into patriarchy. Like, that line stood out to me, but I'm not totally sure what he means by that. Yeah, okay. So, Reagan, do you have an initial gut reaction? or? I mean, I think what he means is, and this is something maybe uh, that I've kind of seen, is there are typically feminized spaces or in this case majors so like education Mm -hmm. um is the thing that comes to mind where it's like okay so feminism is important in all spaces and part of feminism in that for the education department is having more men in the department having more men students male students um incorporating those kinds of perspectives like that kind of thing whereas we then move to he mentions the stem area where we don't have a lot of gender balance at all in the stem fields and a lot of the at least the implication i got from his talk is that a lot of the people students that are women in those fields instead of being like i'm a woman in stem or um wanting advocating for something more like faculty gender balance are just pretending that gender doesn't exist to make it a little easier for themselves so we're having like more women maybe in stem but in order to do that you have to deny a part whereas like maybe in other majors or areas like education that can be a part and part of that is making it more inclusive for everybody type of deal as opposed to not allowing that to be part of your identity yeah I mean I, th- I think it's interesting that his first example is about uh, representation in fields um, and I, I do think that's like really important for um, upending overturning patriarchy perhaps but it's not necessarily like the first place I think of with a phrase like that like um, certain quadrants we are slipping back into patriarchy mm-hmm. um, then I think more, okay, so that just, just for listeners, um, if you were on the website, you would see that this um, story was posted in 2012. So we're talking about nine years ago now, um, so before the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. But, like, for me, that, and I'm not saying this is co- correct in any way, but for me, like, that's what comes to mind when I think of feminism and patriarchy. Like, in what spaces are women safe and in what spaces are they respected and in what spaces are they seen as like human beings as opposed to like a female body that can be commented on or groped or something like that Mm. um so representation is not like the first thing when i think of slipping back into patriarchy i think of more like an unwillingness um for individuals or groups in the in the culture to grapple with like how a women woman's experience or how a person in a female body is going to be experiencing certain spaces based on assumptions made about gender and what's appropriate and what's inappropriate and and what um people in male bodies can can get away with or what they have they don't have to think about or worry worry about um so i don't know what he means by quadrants (laughs) yeah Uh, if at this particular time nine years ago it seemed less like it was happening across the board and more it was happening in like like 
if he's thinking about the university, is he thinking just about like college of engineering, college of business, college of nursing and healthcare, you know, is he separating mm-hmm. it out into those kinds of quadrants? Did you, is there something you wanted him to be saying? When he... <laughs> no, no, not necessarily. I mean, Reagan, I feel like you kind of took it as like, um, like different fields that people could go in. That makes sense to me. I don't know. Like when I hear the phrase like quadrant slipping back into patriarchy, like in my mind, I'm, I'm honestly not thinking of like how we're operating as a whole in terms of like, you know, like our gender roles and things. Like I'm specifically thinking about, um, I don't know, there's a show, Samantha B, and she was talking about, like, right after the 2016 election, like, the most surprising, like, demographic of votes, and that was, like, overwhelmingly white women voting for Trump, and so I think about, like, this idea of slipping back into patriarchy, I think of, like, this idea of, like, women for Trump, or, you know, like, I don't know, like, gays for Trump, that's, like, a whole thing, but also I think of, like, people who are a part of uh, there's two parts of the lutheran church there's like one that allows women pastors and one that doesn't and i think about like the women that are a part of the church that doesn't allow women to be pastors like in my mind it's so weird that it's like i would like just based on how we're set up in the media and like thinking of women as like these fragile objects to be like viewed and that i just kind of expect I don't know, men to kind of view women in that way. But what really disappoints me is that there's women who view women that way. And it's just like that in my mind is what is making us slip back into the patriarchy. So that's what that, that's what I think of when I when I hear that line. But well, it's a comment on the tenacity of patriarchy, right? Because patriarchy is the culture that's conditioning all of us. Mm-hmm. Right. So there would be reasons then for women who are conditioned by this to like claim it in this way that for us as progressive feminists see as like completely um, self harmful. Mm -hmm. But like if it gives you access to a a power to reclaim the narrative about yourself as a woman with, from the, from the point of the patriarch, I don't know. It gets very confusing, but (laughs) I mean, I think, um, Yeah, so maybe even, like, what I'm questioning a little bit is the slipping back. Mm -hmm. Because I I feel like my understanding in in the recent um, education, like, self-education I've been trying to do around white supremacy, and uh, the text that I read, it's it's like an operating system. Mm -hmm. So you have either transformed the operating system or you haven't, and then you're operating within it, and there's lots of things that can happen operating within a harmful system. Um, it's not like there isn't resilience. It's not like there isn't self-worth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the system is still in place or it's not. And so when I think about that slipping back, I'm like, well, actually, I mean, white supremacy is in place. Patriarchy is in place. These are things that um, are just still operating. And we maybe um, have made gains within the operating system um, but I don't see ways that it's been completely transformed yet. And, and maybe that's not fair either. Cause like, when does an actual transformation happen? Like there must be a process. It can't be like instantaneous overnight. So maybe I'm drawing too strong of a line between it's an operating system and then it's transformed. Um, yeah, but I, I, even like with our recent statistics around the pandemic and like women are the ones that left the workplace first like that to me is more evidence that patriarchy is still operating Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that some women might not have want like wanted to be the first ones to retreat or economically needed to and that I guess that's the piece I'm more thinking about like 
why why would it um in terms of like an aggregate not like an individual woman making a choice but when you look at the statistics overall then you can see these patterns where it's like oh that's that's still patriarchy so okay Mm -hmm. i don't know i also think about like uh, this idea of like because he, he kind of references this idea of like the the big movement in the 60s and 70s that he doesn't think that people are cognizant of and i don't know i like that show mrs america oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i think about that too like um like gloria steinem and like how they were like they were tr- they were like pushing for like lesbian rights back then and they were like trying to get a black woman elected into the was it the senate like and so i think of like wow like the 60s and 70s like that's such like a big push and then I think like okay I guess 2021 we have like a biracial vice president a female vice president and I'm like okay like we got farther but it's so crazy to me that in like the 70s that's what we were trying to push for this sort of like representation in government and then it's like 2021 I guess 2008 you know it's like it it takes so it took so long and I wonder if if part of that like the, the idea of slipping back into patriarchy is that we're not like as as fervently mm. looking at these issues like we're not i don't know it's like it like is like the the women's march is that the same thing as like you know like what was happening in the 70s with glory Stein? is that is that making the same amount of progress i don't know so that i mean like that's what i'm thinking of like are we just kind of like he he mentions later on like this sort of like complacency that we have and like and where we're at and like i wonder if that's sort of the, the slipping the not mm-hmm. as like as progressive we're not pushing like i would i would hope in 2021 we'd be a little bit farther than where we are now but we're kind of fighting for like similar things still like similar representation that we've been fighting for for like you know at least 50 years obviously longer than that but i don't know like we haven't gotten as farther or maybe we're just complacent and and as far as we've gotten i'm not sure well, he does talk about um, like this idea of like a gender-blind society, mm-hmm. and I think that has a lot of of merit to it. Even after this or during this period of Me Too, even with this period of having like the first female vice president literally ever, um, I still think that generally speaking, that is something that's not big in the moment, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like the prioritization of things like Black Lives Matter um, and police brutality, like those are good things like i am not begrudging or any way shape or form um but i do think that a lot of women at least that i come into contact with are maybe feminist in the way that they will buy something that says girl power on it from target but are not necessarily feminist or conceptualizing themselves as feminists when it comes to recognizing gender issues that we face today and then consciousness raising advocating trying to do something for themselves to stop or as a group to stop those issues um i do think that there is like that very clear divide um where it's like well women can vote now and workplace sex-based discrimination is mostly illegal so we don't have any problems anymore Mm -hmm. type of mentality this is wvlp and you're listening to listen up welcome project radio with allison shooty willow walsh and reagan skaggs and today we're focused on gender (laughs) <laughs> and so we've been talking about a story we played at the top of the hour from a retired professor of theology um, who was noting in 2012 when he was interviewed um, that he was uh, disappointed maybe in students who felt complacent about noticing gender and standing up and claiming feminism. I mean, I, I was teaching on campus at that time, too, and I remember it seeming like, you know, feminism was called the F word and nobody wanted to use it. Mm. And um 
I, I like again, this is 2012, uh, and I feel like you brought up Willow the Women's March. I mean, that to me, I think for someone like this professor, I would guess I, I didn't ask him would have indicated a, a return or a resurgence to what he's talking about the 60s and 70s and the women's movement there. I mean, the showing um, and the the anger um, and the demand for change was palpable then. And um, I don't I don't know if people are ignoring gender so much now as taking lines, or maybe even maybe at least taking lines about feminism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also, Reagan, you said something about this. Like, like for myself even, I've put my own attention to race before my attention recently, of the most recently, <laughs> on gender. Yeah. Um, and Willow and I have had conversations off radio about this. Like, I, I am interested in, the, in race because I'm white. I'm in the dominant category. And that feels like something I have a lot to learn about. So my attention goes there. Whereas um, for for gender, where I'm in the non-dominant category, like I'm kind of tired <laughs> tired of like you know thinking about that, what it means to be oppressed or how in a system of patriarchy one maintains their sense of dignity and, and worth um, if it's being called into question in these subtle and not so subtle ways. So. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's any, if there's any, this is already getting away from our story, <laughs> but I don't know if there's anything more to say about that or how you, I mean, you all are 20, 30 years younger. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a generation or two different. Like, how about you? Like, where is gender for you in terms of on your front consciousness, frontline consciousness when you're thinking politically mm. about justice or... You go ahead. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, like, when I think about my social media feed, and I think this is definitely curated to me, but I think about, like, I don't know, in my mind, it's like women are noticing the ways in which, you know, we're slighted. And so I think, like, when I think about the differences, I think of, like, there's a strong, like, female consciousness of it. But I think there's also, like, a, like a powerlessness to it, too, because it's, like, well, we don't know how to do it, but it's just, like, I see it called out all the time. Like, there's, a, like, a woman working at, like, Home Depot, and she was, like, I can't tell you how many times I had to, like, tell men, like, yes, I know what I'm talking about when I recommend this specific tool to you. Like, you have to, like, be an expert or you have to have, like, some sort of backing and, like, explain yourself. So it's, like, I mean, so it's, like, we're noticing the ways in which this happens, but... I don't know. I feel powerless. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. I would say the general consensus is like a very real acknowledgement and a very real, um, like depressingly accurate pinpointing of, of problems. And hey, now that we think about it, like, isn't this thing that's typically feminine really weird? Isn't it really weird how women are infantilized and sexualized at the same, like that kind of thing? But what are you supposed to do about it? It's, I feel like our generation is very much stuck on that. But also, like, I remember... Like, freaking 2019 and my last semester in college and, like, my English topics class for Asian literature, one of the the professor in the class asked everyone in the classroom, if you're a feminist, please raise your hand. There were three people, myself included, in, like, a 17-person class. Like, that's 
so bananas to me. Like, I just, I can't wrap my mind around that. Like, because so I think about social media and like, so in my feed, there's a cognizance. But when mm. I'm sitting in a, a literature class, like, that's not at all what I expected. I raised my hand. I was like, what? Where the heck is everybody? Like, what? Is this still a bad word? Like, the word in the English major. Like, th- that just seems like, we're in liberal arts. What are you doing? Not being a feminist. Like, there were women not raising their hands in that classroom. And that was so 2019. Well, context, context, context. Where were you? You were in a, a private Christian college in yeah. a very small, I mean, it's Valpo's bigger than where I'm from, but still a small Midwestern town. I mean, yeah, but that might like, be a different story, ideally, maybe somewhere else, but yeah. Like, I feel that, but also at the same time, it's like, whoa, like 22 here, really? <laughs> like, well, I wonder if that has something to do with how people define feminism. Um, like, like our storyteller says that he'll do it very broadly at one level mm-hmm. at least and say it's just a person who's sensitized to gender issues and gender perspective. And then he goes on to say that, you know, the next level would be somebody who's willing to advocate in some way. And, and I, I don't know that in, uh, well, certainly now, I don't feel like the term feminism is broadly defined or understood. It like if if that same professor had raised their hand and says you know every every environmentalist in the room raise your hand Mm -hmm. you know like i think he would have gotten more hands well maybe more hands but would have everybody like i feel like there's a a, well i want you to push back but i I feel like there's a sense of activist that's people Mm -hmm. hear feminist Mm -hmm. they hear environmentalist they hear anti-racist Mm-hmm. And they hear, and then they think activist. That's someone who's out there doing things, fighting for a cause. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not that person, I can't raise my hand. And maybe it's even it's either because they don't want to be activists, like they would be opposed to some of those. In the case of feminism, um, some of the like fights that women uh, and men who are advocating on behalf of women um, would take. But um, it might also be like a kind of like. I, I can't claim it because I'm not that courageous or not that strong or that's not what I do with my time or I don't know I feel like maybe I, it's my nihilism coming out but I feel like you're being a little generous honestly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, same yeah no I just I feel that at least in my very midwestern American experience that's not how I've seen people use labels um, when they talk about themselves and using labels and giving themselves those things like it's not like well i'm not an activist i'm not doing enough so that's the thing it's i am opposed to this idea so i am not this thing yeah i mean it might be even like this like the same thing for like lgbtq allies like way more people would want to be like hey i'm an ally even though maybe they don't do anything yeah i bet if you if you go into any vaguely liberal space and ask people if they were an ally i think you would get a ton of hands type of deal whether or not but it's like feminism for me. I think like literally still like 20 something people still think like, well, I'm not a feminist because I don't believe that women are better than men. Like, yeah. Like the, like the baseline of like defining feminism, mm-hmm. we are still like not aligned on. And I wonder if that's because, mm-hmm. you know, Valpo is this Midwestern Lutheran school. Like, do you just hear from your parents like, oh, those feminists, they believe that, you know men should not exist or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's literally their definition of it. Well, even... Um I occupy a lot of very leftist space on the internet, if that surprises anyone. Um, (laughs) But I've even heard it from, like, quote-unquote, like, people, I mean, I think these people are um, what we kids call thoroughly online. Um, But (laughs) um, some people, they're like, they'll go so far over that they'll be like, well, I'm not a feminist because it's 
oppressive to people of like other genders to mm. specify women's oppression which i'm gonna go ahead and put a no on that one um but you know there's all kinds of things and i think all of that stems from one like a gender blind type of thing like not understanding of like a wider context like you're talking about with like women withdrawing first during the first wave of the pandemic um or being withdrawn i guess could also be how that goes um and i do think it's also so like a lack of awareness or a refusal for a lack of awareness of that kind of approach or view um, when it comes to looking at things like all kinds of systematic oppressions. And I also think it's like a very real discomfort of, I don't want to have to change my perspective on something that is so very ingrained in me. Like maybe I am not, I never have been a big church person, but I still grew up in the Midwest and I still, despite not having those like stereotypical patriarchal markers have these ideas of what a woman's place is or what is it appropriate for a woman to do or how a woman's sexuality is or isn't appropriate. I think that those are very ingrained ideas that people don't want to interrogate. Yeah. And I think too, like you were talking about Allison, like, like looking at the numbers in aggregate of the women leaving the workplace first. Like I just, I don't think we necessarily tend to think about it in that way. Like, I mean, I think it would just be like, I don't know, like if, like, Reagan, like you're saying, like, this is just like an ingrained idea that it's just like, well, yeah, I'm going to be the one to go home and I'm going to teach the kids the online school. And yeah, I'm, I'm making that decision. And if you have like millions of women doing that, it's like you're not necessarily thinking like, oh, this isn't a good thing that women are just the first to jump out of the workplace and have to take care of the kids and like do the online school through the pandemic. I think you're maybe thinking of it just more like, yeah, for my family, that makes sense. Like, I'm probably going to be the one to do that. And then you do that, and maybe you don't necessarily think, like, Mm -hmm. is this bad? Like, I don't think there's any, like... Mm -hmm. Or why did this fall specifically to me or to my spouse? Like, like, a specific, like, chime that goes off. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is the dynamic at home. I don't really see how feminism plays into this. It's just, yeah, this is my job, and this is what makes sense for my... So it's like, if you're not even viewing that in, like, through the lens of, like, is this... Are are a bunch of women doing this? Mm -hmm. Like, if you're not viewing it through that lens, I think it's just... It doesn't even, like, populate your mind as a gender issue. Like, it's even happening. But I don't know, to go back to the idea of, like, the gender-blind thing, like, one of his lines, the storyteller's lines, that really stuck out to me, and he said, they have become complacent because they didn't live through it, that would be the 70s, and they may think that if we don't make gender a big issue, that's our way of sort of overcoming gender issues. And, like, holy crap, I have seen this so often... And like I think of specifically a time with Erica's mom that we were we had this like big fight on our last day when we went to visit her mom this like big argument, and I, it's so hard because it's like if you are that woman leaving the workplace through COVID to go home and take care of your kids, you don't you don't want to be called out as like oh that's like a a non-feminist thing like why did you have to do that? I think there's this idea of like if you put a lens on it through feminism or through like abiding to patriarchy then I don't know there's just like you're making the issue like there's no issue here like I'm a mom I decided to leave my workplace and take care of the kids like that's not you don't get to tell me that that's not feminism I I don't know like when we talk to Erica's mom she says the same thing she's like we should be colorblind we should be genderblind you're the one making the issue out of it It, it only exists because you're calling it out racism only exists because you're calling it out if you didn't say anything about it it wouldn't exist and it's literally just the act of of surfacing it that's creating the problem and I think that so many people hold that idea and what they don't understand is that like when you do look at the numbers in aggregate like that's a problem all these women leaving the workforce (laughs) 
But I think it's just the ideal is obviously we're all living, you know, with the same opportunities and privileges, but that's just not the case. But I think so many people think that that privilege doesn't exist, that if you name it, you're the one making the problem. Well, that's the other thing, too, is like bringing it to the individual level of like, well, let's say that I am that person who has made the decision to be the stay-at-home parent in a heterosexual couple. Mm-hmm. Um, then now you're you're feeling interrogated and your decisions are being called into yeah. question versus like, well, this is just what I wanted to do. And that's an uncomfortable position to be in. Like, I am a lady. Sometimes I shave my legs and I think about how that's not a necessary thing and body hair is natural and it's silly to feel obligated to do it or to be embarrassed of something that like men can do default and not think about at all. Mm-hmm. Not that men don't shave their legs. I have several male friends who always shave their legs, <laughs> but it's a, it's a silly little thing that I shouldn't have to do that I shouldn't have to think about, but I do it. And then I have a moment where I'm like, oh, did I do the bad feminist thing, Mm. Mm. you know? And it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a decision, but it is something that like, because I'm cognizant of it, I'm like, okay, so how much of this are you doing for you versus how much Mm -hmm. of this are you doing for others? And I think that is the backbone, especially of sixties and seventies feminism is the consciousness raising and the awareness Mm. and being like, okay, so is this a decision you are making for you or is this a decision being made for you? Yeah. Yeah. This is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM, 103.1 FM in Valparaiso and streaming online. You're here with me, Allison Schutte and Willa Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. And today on Listen Up, we're delving into gender um, and feminism in particular. Uh, So should we go ahead and play the second story? I feel like any of the themes that we kind of raised in the first half hour we can return to of course but um how how would you like to set up this storyteller yeah so this is um a former student at vu who is in the rotc boot camp talking about um female and male leaders in the military and also in her boot camp environment and this one is titled strong female leader in rotc started in my freshman year one of the people that lived down the hall from me she was in air force rotc I took to boot camp, the boot camp environment pretty well. I was used to, you know, getting up early. But as far as the physical aspect of boot camp goes, it wasn't that different. I've always been physically active. I'd done taekwondo for as long as I can remember, and that's taekwondo is a Korean martial art. Push-ups have been a pretty standard part of my life for a while now. You know, there aren't that many girls that are, can do push-ups at all, much less you know, 50 of them in a row. Gender at boot camp and in the military in general is, I don't want to say it's an issue because it makes it sound like it's kind of a bad thing, but it's definitely there, especially being a female leader. And this really comes out at boot camp. If you're a strong female leader, how you are perceived by those whom you are leading is usually not exactly what you want because the general assumption is a strong female leader is a word I'd rather not say. (laughs) If you had like a male leading, it's like, oh man, look at him. He has got his stuff together. But if it's a female doing the same thing, it's usually, oh my gosh, what a meanie. Like, would she just stop telling me what to do? And then there's also, you get a lot of, I guess it's the macho complex. Males in the military, especially at boot camp, feel like, oh, let let, let me carry your rucksack for you or let me take some of the load off because you're female and I should do that like you can't carry it for yourself which it's nice but at the same time it's a little annoying sometimes it's like I'm not gonna get any better if you just take it from me and do it for me 
I didn't really have to worry about being perceived as a meanie as a female leader because um, I'm really soft-spoken. I, I represent kind of the other side of the female like dichotomy. You're either the meanie or you're just this random female soldier who's there. So <laughs> you're just there, and that that's where I fit in. So it's, it's just it's tough to find a balance between listen here and not being a jerk. During one of our team building exercise sessions, we were trying to discuss some options. All of the male members of my squad were very open. They're putting in, had a lot of input, you know, arguing with each other, you know, having a sort of alpha fight. Finally, I just had to cut in and I, I kind of like raised my hand and did a kind of karate chop through the air and said, everybody stop talking now. They all just looked at me. This one guy was looking at me with his mouth wide open, like, who are you? (laughs) There was definitely a transition moment, like, are we going to listen to her or not? And then they were like, okay, maybe. And then they kind of went with it. It was tough for me because I don't like to say, I don't like to tell people to shut up. (laughs) But sometimes I've, I've learned that I have to. This is WVLP and listen up. Welcome Project Radio. I'm Allison Schutte and I'm here with Willa Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. Today we are talking about gender and feminism. And so the story you just heard is from a student who's now graduated uh, from the from Valparaiso University who was an ROTC uh, cadet while she was here. And she's talking about her experiences in that organization and being a strong female leader. Um, I... I really want to get at um, that statement she makes, gender at boot camp and in the military in general is, I don't want to say it's an issue because it makes it sound like it's kind of a bad thing, but it's definitely there. Like I've been trying to figure out and unpack what she might have meant by that. Um, So I'm curious, like thoughts? Girl, it's an issue. Say it's an issue. (laughs) Why? I mean, I think that she kind of says this directly in the text where she's, I'm that other side of the female dichotomy i'm not the meanie which i think the b word is what she's trying not to say or the c word or yeah that one's becoming a little more common i don't appreciate it um (laughs) not be i'm not the b word i'm not the meanie i'm i'm the nice one and i think that that's exactly where that's coming from is like well i don't want to be that i want to be the nice one so i don't want to call it an issue i don't want to say it's a problem but this does bother me you gotta say it's a problem. The first step to solving a problem is admitting there's a problem. <laughs> I just think it like totally exemplifies like how she's like, well, I'm the soft-spoken one, so it's like I'm not gonna, I don't want to call this out because if I were to call this out, then I would be the meanie. Yeah, I, there are archetypes that I, as a person who has to live this lifestyle, as this person in this particular body who presents this particular way, et cetera, et cetera, all these things, um, and they, one acknowledging that there's a like, dichotomy and acknowledging that I am picking a part of the dichotomy which you know sociology all this other fun stuff there is no dichotomy this is social construction whatever 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 but this is like your social position and how you align yourself socially has real power and this is this is the part that she's she's chosen which again is her choice but it is notable okay i'm gonna take the risk of what did you call me earlier like too generous Because I think that the way that you're describing it is how I, I heard her first. And it, it might be operating, even if what I'm going to suggest is also operating. But um, I thought it was interesting because she says, because that makes it sound like it's kind of a bad thing. And so then I was like, okay, so um, 
if it's an issue, if it's a bad thing, then that means it's a problem that, that we have women, that we have men. We can, we can diversify that even more now and talk about trans and non-binary and things like that. Um, and maybe she doesn't want gender to have to be a problem. Like, uh, it should be something we can celebrate. Like, we talk about this with diversity all the time, right? Like, we want difference to be something that we can actually claim because it could make us more interesting. Um, we just want to stop placing value on one thing over another. So men are not better than women. Um, straight people are not better than gay people. Uh, white people are not better than people of color. Um, so I wondered if she was, like, trying to reach for that. Like, I want... I want the fact that I'm a woman to be something that I can stand in. And I, if I call it an issue, it's automatically going to mean we're talking about a problem and that that means there's something wrong with being a woman. And so I, I, well, I'll just let you push back on that. <laughs> no question. We'll push back. <laughs> um, I mean, I get, I, I feel like I understand where you're coming from, but for me, like the, the baseline is still the same. So to acknowledge like, Hey, we just want, you to acknowledge difference and then not put an, a really unnecessary and really harmful hierarchy on that difference still requires that you acknowledge that that hierarchy and that because of that difference exists like we still have a step one here um you can't sidestep it is i guess where i'm coming from i wonder like she says i don't want to say it's an issue and i wonder like who in her mind is the audience in that moment like maybe it's just in the interview but i think like I mean, I, I'm pushing back, too, because I just feel like it's she doesn't want to say it's an issue because she's surrounded by men in the military or in her boot camp. And so you have this sort of like audience of if I do say it's an issue, then I don't know. Then I don't know. It's just like I think of all this like sort of like crappy stuff you can get from men just by saying like something is a problem. Like, oh, are you going to whine about it? Like, oh, are you too scared to be in? Like, yeah. You know, it's just like so that's like the audience there. It's like, I don't want to say it's an issue because I don't want all of your crap about how it's not an issue. Well, to and come that's back on the, the nicer end of the spectrum yeah. of what could potentially be but a I'm problem. But I'm thinking like if she was in a boot camp and in a military that was like mostly women, would she feel the same like well I don't want to call this out because like what would she be afraid of there like I mean she says I don't want to say it's a bad thing but I don't know it feels like that would be a better audience for her like she wouldn't be called a meanie and I think that's what she might be afraid of still and it, I don't know I feel like it would be more well received I feel like when you're surrounded in an environment with mostly men you just have to be careful on like what you're calling out but I don't know that was part of my question about like would she respond differently if she were around a bunch of women? Well, I think also, like, you don't have the option of, the same option anyway, of falling into what she says is the, the female dichotomy. Um, if you're in a space, and I, I do the same thing when I'm, like, one of the only, like, LGBT people in a room of, like, what I know is almost all straight people. Like, okay, so how, what role am I going to perform almost in this room in order to like continue to have a good time type of deal or to not depending on my mood. But, <laughs> um, but I think it with, when I enter spaces where I know there are a lot of other LGBT people, then I don't feel the need to be so aware. And there's a lot more like quote unquote, like archetypes for me to fit into that I can choose or not choose to do based on like how I actually feel about the situation or how I would actually like the situation to go versus like being aware of again, the hierarchy and then, trying to 
fit into a positive stereotype or avoid a negative stereotype type of deal. Yeah, I think I'm troubled more by the dichotomy than the fact that, you know, there's this hesitation over naming gender as an issue. Because I, um, I mean, are those really, are only two choices <laughs> to be a meanie or to be just there? I mean, that phrase, just there. Um, and it's striking because this storyteller gives us this example at the very beginning of like how powerful she is, mm-hmm. like actually physically strength yeah. wise. Um, and then she gives us an example of how she works with a team and interrupts um, the alpha male fight that's going on in order. I'm assuming she wants to like make progress together as a team. <laughs> so um, like, I don't see her as just there. So it's interesting that she, at least in this interview, placed herself on that, like only saw two choices and then placed herself in the just there category. Um, I guess I don't really have a question about that. I just wonder like why, why she puts herself in the random female soldier just there category. I think it, it's got to be exhausting, like, to be the mean. I mean, not that she wants to be the meanie, but if she sees that there is only two options, and in my mind she's saying, like, okay, the soft-spoken one or, you know, the strong female leader, I think it's, like, in my mind she's just choosing to not do the, the harder option, which is to be, you know, the meanie, which is being, you know, kind of going against your expected gender roles. And I think that's where she kind of, like, falls into this... I don't know, more soft-spoken role, because, I don't know, it's, like, based on, like, I think in, like, media and movies, which is maybe where we get some of these connotations for women, like, you know, you would think, like, mothering, more emotional, more, I don't know, just, like, kinder and more coddling, and so when women in positions of power kind of disrupt that idea, and it's like, I'm not here to hold your hand, I'm your leader, you know, it's a, it's, 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 it's a disruption of how we expect women to perform, and so then it's kind of like shamed or called out, you know, call her the B word or that she's a meanie because she's not performing in this motherly way that we're expecting her to. And I think that there, there's like an ostracization that kind of happens with that too. Like if you're deciding like, yes, I am this powerful person that can do 50 pushups at once. I've never been able to do a single pushup, <laughs> even at the height of my athleticism. Um, it's very powerful, but it's just like, so it's that decision to be like, am I going to put myself out there and kind of make myself available to have fingers pointed at me or am I just going to be quiet and powerful like she is powerful but then she's also soft-spoken and that to me says Mm -hmm. she could be the strong female leader but it's way easier in the context of the people that she's around and the men that she's around it's way easier just to take the motherly emotional soft-spoken innocent woman because then you're not kind of having these fingers pointed at you yeah I think that's where it comes back where like the archetype is not reality like she again I, I, I don't know this person seems perfectly capable like can keep up physically in boot camp which especially in like a military space is a big deal um can keep up and is capable of kind of like you know having those leadership qualities getting everybody to be quiet so we can just like calm down and make a, a proper decision together that type of thing so the issue is not and i think this is like again another backbone of feminism is not capability here it is what the capable are allowed to do based off of the hierarchy that they are selected into by others 
Yeah, that's interesting because I was just starting to wonder if maybe her categories were not hers, but ones that she experienced in ROTC. Mm-hmm. So you're if you're the men are going to see you either as a meanie or a random female soldier. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, I, I am just like fascinated by the story she gives us of how when she does the karate chop and says, okay, um, everybody stop talking now. And then there's a couple of different moments. Um, so they look at her, there's like, who are you? And then a transition moment, she calls it, where they're considering, are we going to listen to her or not? And then they were like, okay, maybe. And then they kind of went with it. I, I actually wish that I had either or she had given more details about like what ha- happened. Like, did they start listening to her? Was she pulling out ideas that she heard that she liked? Or, you know, like, I, I don't know. But um, the fact that the, the way she describes the men, at least... Um, I, I don't know. It's like they are being trained in the moment by her to see her differently than these two categories that they normally place the fellow female soldiers into. Unless you disagree and you think that her karate chop, everybody stop talking now, is a meanie thing. It's kind of like, I don't know if she would play, place it in that category or not. Mm. I guess I didn't. Um, I don't think it's inherently a meanie thing. I mean, it's definitely attention-getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like a kind of mm-hmm. meanie bully thing. No. If that's what she no. means by meanie. No. I mean, I like the idea of ending the story with, oh, maybe she's creating another arch- archetype I can talk for herself. Um in between where like these men are like like you said kind of training themselves or being trained to acknowledge that she is in charge and that she is capable um but experience tells me that maybe she will get there and then the next woman that goes into Mm -hmm. the same group is going to have to go through the exact same process Mm -hmm. so as opposed to opposed to like a true like quote-unquote third Mm. archetype my instinct my nihilist young lady (laughs) instinct is to say that like well this is just a it's good that she could make it and I hope she does, but the next woman is going to have to do the same thing. Like with the next round of fellow cadets or like the same cadets and a new female leader? Both. Like either scenario. Yeah. In my mind, at least. Yeah. But maybe I'm just a negative Nelly. You know? <laughs> this is WVLP. Listen up. Welcome Project Radio. I'm Allison Schutte with Reagan Skaggs and Willa Walsh. We're talking about gender and feminism strong female leaders and whether there's an option between a meanie and a just being there. <laughs> um, I mean, so much of the space that we're talking about here, she's reflecting on, of course, is influenced by military protocol and things like that, which either might amplify or in some cases, I suppose, like dampen how the regular American culture is patriarchal or not. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm 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 not. T- I don't tend to be hopeful. <laughs> Although um, maybe I'm not as cynical right now as as you are, Reagan. At least in this very moment. Um, ask me another day, and maybe you know. But it, I was aware suddenly that like these are her fellow cadets, the same age as her, and I'm curious uh, if the military is getting better 
as um, as men and women are in the military together longer. I mean, we actually have some counter evidence to that with mm-hmm. like how sexual harassment is dealt with in the military. And I know that's shifting now. We don't know whether that's going to be effective. Um, and now the, is it the Senate that's going to be, or Congress is going to be looking at whether women have to register for the, um, the, draft. the draft, Yeah, um, which I think is a fascinating, like, like, is that equality? Um, in, se- in one sense, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it also imperialism? <laughs> yes. yes. Well, <laughs> um, but it's it's not going to be it's not going to be equality if when women enter they're not seen as equals. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's this really strange like uh, like middle ground of. Are you, in this case, the military going to back up and make a culture that actually promotes the ability for women to be fighting alongside men in the capacity that they want to? Um, Or are you just making the equality on paper? Like, well, now everybody gets to do this thing that... My dad, who is a military reporter for KPBS, would say, absolutely not. Um, they have a, at least the, um, the Marines, the Marines have a, you know, fantastic communications and PR team. So essentially it's like, I mean, there's like a new giant, I think like a naval ship like in San Diego that's now going to have like the first female captain. So it's like they'll make strides like that and like on the face of things. But then at the same time, it's like, if you call out like, okay, yeah, so there's sexual harassment that happens here. And it's like, well, no, no, no. We treat all of our Marines the same. They all have the same opportunities. It's this sort of like lip service to like, yes, we're acknowledging that we need to sort of like diversify our pool and make sure that women, you know, have the tools necessary, but like not really when he presses and it's like, okay, so like what programs do you have that allow women to reach these destinations? Like what, like, do you have like training programs, like apprenticeships with like female leaders and female Marines? Oh no, you don't have that. Do you have like a good reporting system for like when something like that happens to a female Marine? Yeah. Oh, do you follow up on it? No, no, no. We don't have anybody to follow up on these accusations that female Marines <laughs> but will bring up. But there is a hotline for you to call. <laughs> you are so inclined. Yeah. If you want to scream it into the void, be our guest. But So it's just like, I, so honestly, what I see happening with this storyteller is, I mean, I think there is some learning that's going on. And I think, Reagan, you're right, it's going to have to happen with a bunch more women for those same exact men in that scenario where they're kind of being told to like, hey, stop it. I think that's going to have to happen a little bit more. But what I do see happening here is that these men who are seeing this like female in their space they're seeing her as the soft-spoken one, you know, maybe the, you know, just, you know, everything that you see, it, how we interpret women just to be just kind of there, just kind of nice. I'm going to help you with the door and stuff, you know, just kind of like the less than person. So they're seeing her as this person the entire time. And then she disrupts that by being the mature one, you know, taking a stand, karate chopping the air in the meeting and saying, hey, listen to me. And I think maybe that pause is like, oh, well, wait, the way that I understand female leaders to be they're they're mean they're terrible they're bossy but she's the soft-spoken one and now she's doing something that a female leader would do i mean i think that there's like there's some there has to be a pause there she's not fitting in with the dichotomy that the men are placing her in so i think that there is some learning there but i think overall it's going to take so much more and i think Mm -hmm. in the military overall it is not 
anywhere near where it should be in terms of like well, that's female the thing, opportunity. They do say that the learning thing, like the having, like being exposed to like women in reasonable positions of power. I say reasonable because we don't need dictators. Like women dictators are not representation, but like that kind of thing, like reasonable positions of power, seeing people of color in reasonable positions of power, um, seeing like LGBT people, like visibly LGBT people um, in like reasonable positions of power, like all that kind of thing does help, but it puts those people during that transition period, like through it and you're going to be going through it. So it's, it's a question of, I want this, result but i also would like to have a life that doesn't suck type of deal and then wanting that for other people so like seeing i I don't know i felt this very much for like the me too movement like oh my gosh i'm so glad that these women are coming forward like this is fantastic and then seeing like the backlash Mm -hmm. that these women come like what immediately comes to mind is the the bill cosby trial because Mm-hmm. of how those women particularly the black women that spoke against bill cosby were treated and it's it's fantastic that they were able to do that it's fantastic that hopefully they will have like a lot of these women their acting careers were destroyed or their reputations were destroyed after these interactions like i saw a lot of really great outreach like okay so like here's an acting position maybe or we would love to have you come speak like that's fantastic i'm so glad that these women are getting these opportunities again, but they had to go through it a lot in order to hopefully, ideally, in the best case scenario, make it easier in the future for more women to be able to do the same thing. That's the nihilistic part. That's the sad part. It's the necessary part from what I understand, but it doesn't make it fun. The necessary part meaning, okay, we are in a white supremacist culture. Okay, we are in a patriarchal culture. So as we strive to transform and move out of those hierarchies, there's just going to be the cost for all of the kind of trailblazers. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I guess I also, what am I trying to, uh, you know, we, we call this story Strong Female Leader, and I don't think this is at odds with anything that you're saying, Reagan. Um But I guess I don't want to overemphasize the cost to individual trailblazers who might also, in spite of the cost, or maybe even because of the cost, like be experiencing themselves as um, valuable and worthwhile, you know, because Mm -hmm. they're actually changing the narrative and they're part of the progress we need to make or the process we need to take to actually transform the culture. Um, and I, I guess I've been thinking about this a lot lately, not not only about gender. I mean, it would be true for any uh, oppressed group or non-dominant group that we look at or talk about when we put so much attention on the painful impact. Um, like, do we miss really noticing how individuals and communities persist and continue to find joy and value in their own lives in the midst of like the pain and the suffering that comes with it. And I know, you know, Willow, you and I have thought about that a lot with Gary and the way that it gets talked about in flight paths. Are we only, are we overemphasizing, um, because we want to draw attention to the disinvestment, which Mm -hmm. is a problem Mm -hmm 
that could have a solution. Um, and we tend to, through stories, like illustrate mm-hmm. disinvestment through like the cost that it has had. But then you're focusing people's, like their images that they call to mind are always going to be like the boarded up houses mm-hmm. or the overgrown lawns mm-hmm. or the schools that can't serve their children. Um, and I wor- I just worry about um, that that doesn't leave behind uh, a, a strong enough set of images of like power and resilience. Mm-hmm. So um, like I, I think of this storyteller and I, I don't know about you. I, I leave the, the story thinking of her as a strong female leader. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not, I don't, I don't necessarily leave the situation thinking like, wow, the military has really, <laughs> or yeah. ROTC has really helped make this possible. Um, I'm more focused on her, you know, as an individual, um, because I still want to, well, because I think she just displays um, a certain self-composure, um, self-understanding, uh, as well as just, like, flooring me that she can do 50 push-ups <laughs> um, and has been doing taekwondo since she can even remember uh kind of wish that had happened to me in, as a child maybe I wouldn't have taken it on but um anyway I don't know what do you think about that balance maybe between how much attention we put on the suffering versus the resilience or I think that that must take so much resolve because like I'm thinking of it more in the context of like the um the supreme court justice who's the rapist that got you know, placed onto it, and I think you're gonna have to help me with names. Um, yeah. yeah, and then um, the woman who spoke against him. Mm-hmm. Which one? Ugh. Oh no, the one like with, with like you know like the New York Times had like all the images of her. Yeah, it's oh, God. Like on the tip of my I know. Tongue. Oh. <laughs> it's just a few months ago. Okay, anyway, but we all know who that is. Anyway, so it's just I think Christine of Christine Ford. Yes, thank you. So I was just I think about her experience and that for her that must require so much internal resolve to be able to see the positives of that but I think there's so Mm -hmm. much negativity just being put under that microscope and seeing your image and your truth being you know splayed across Fox News as as false as just a devious female plan to uproot men's lives you know it's just like that narrative is so overwhelming that for her that must take so much to just trust in herself and that she's doing something good and believe that other people can see what she's doing for the good but there's so much negativity around that that I feel like like you're saying Reagan like for the trailblazers like that's that's Mm -hmm. so hard and ideally we can see it as like look what I've done and that I've come here and that I've been able to say that but it's also just as easy to say that look at this terrible man and now he's in one of the highest positions of power in the country Mm -hmm. that's terrible well, to be the optimistic one for a change. Oh. <laughs> um, there's this uh, journalist who I really admire. Her name is Carrie Poppy. Uh, and she was tweeting the other day about um, these movements and how what it comes down to when you think of success um, in a social movement is being able to lose enthusiastically. Because mm-hmm. so many things, um, like we were talking earlier about um, Gloria Steinem and the organization now, uh, how they were trying to get like a black woman as president of the United States in the 70s. And now we have a vice president who is a biracial woman. Mm-hmm. Um, was that the original goal? No. But maybe that wouldn't have happened without the very basic, at least, framework, or, or at least putting the idea in the American consciousness 
that Gloria Steinem was able to do. So it's understanding that like this idea of your life is not the last life like yours that will happen. And that ideally even your failure is going to set someone else up for success. That's how I try to conceptualize things of like, well, this didn't happen now. But at least maybe it will happen later for other people. And I can hopefully push that idea along and push that um, that success forward to somebody else. And on that note, that's it for today. Um, thanks again for listening. And thanks to our sponsors, Asana Center. And uh, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com and at 108 East Lincoln Way in Valparaiso. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And if you enjoyed the stories you heard today, you can find more stories like this one on our website at welcomeproject.valpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to start a conversation with us or ask any questions, you can email us at welcomeprojectradio at gmail.com.